Guy, could I just borrow you for a moment, please? So, <clears throat> I think I might just, could, would you mind coming on this side? Yeah. So, first of all, I want to say, just in case you're here for the first time, uh, this is not my husband. Guy is married to Sheila. That's at the back here. So, before we set off any rumours, um, I just want you to know that. Guy, I just want to say to you, whatever I do, I want you to look lovingly at me. Okay. Okay? So, that gives me license for quite a lot. That's fine. Oh, <laughs> I thought I was there. Sorry. Like now. Now. Oh, now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's just, let's just come here. So I want you to know that this morning God wants to speak to us. And I feel that, I feel a great weight on this, and I wish I had known this 35 years ago. But I want you to know <clears throat> that this morning when I speak to you, I'm going to speak to you out of my many failures rather than my supreme victories, because this has been an ongoing thing for me. And I'm just going to demonstrate. So could we hold hands? Mm -hmm. Sheila, I'm just holding hands. <laughs> okay. So when I first became a Christian um, a long time ago, a few decades ago, at the end of that first year <clears throat> of being a Christian, I faced a lot of really, really big challenges. My, none of my family were speaking to me. I told you some of that history a few weeks ago. I had no money, no income whatsoever. And I, more than anything, I had no one to help me, no one to guide me in any way at all. And um, uh, in that time, sorry, so we're pretending uh, Guy is Jesus for the purposes of this. And at that time, God spoke to me. And he said to me, <coughs> Lynn, you and I are going to go on a journey together. And he held my hand like this. But he spoke to me and he said, <clears throat> we can go on that journey in two ways. You can trust me and we can walk peacefully together throughout all that we encounter. Or you can be like a spoiled child. He didn't actually use those words. And you can whinge and squirm and moan and groan. And the walk will not be so pleasant. So guess what I said? Oh, Lord, I want to bless you. I want to walk with you in a way that pleases you. I want to trust you. That probably lasted a week. <laughs> because at that time... Um, it was the whole question of my future and this being alone and whatever. And I had been praying and praying. So where I lived at university, um, our houses, the student houses, were near some woods. And um, in those woods, there was a church that had been... You know when the Black Plague came and they... I'm just letting go. And they... Um, you know, people lived in communities. They didn't dare come out because they would spread the plague. They became isolated. Well, one of these communities was at the back of our university houses, this little church. And I used to go there every single day, and I cried out to God, Lord, what shall I do? I've got no money. I don't know what to do, where to go, who to go with. 
it's all pretty dire. And that's where I hit my first wall with Jesus, just a few weeks after he'd spoken to me. And I was walking back from this little church that was secluded, and I was overcome by anger, by disappointment, by everything that was... And suddenly I stopped mid-pathway, and I said, Lord, you said we were supposed to have life, and life in all its fullness. Well, I don't think I've got life in all its fullness. I've got no money. I've no idea what I'm doing. You're not speaking to me. You call yourself a loving God, and I jumped like this (laughs) because I was so angry with God. I stopped, and there were the university houses, And the kitchens were facing the field where I was. And I could see about 20 faces in each of these kitchens looking at what I was doing. So I dusted myself down and carried on walking. But I let go of Jesus. And I, if I'm honest, I had quite a temper tantrum for a little while. Well, this isn't fair. I don't know if I want to follow you anymore. But Jesus never left me. But the way I acted was not how God wanted me to act. And this is what he wants to speak to us about today. Thank you very much. Well done. Let's put my shoes back on. So we are looking at the emotionally healthy spirituality and what Jesus, in this whole thing that we're walking through together, is he is wanting to get beneath the surface of our lives, into the depths of our lives, to set us free to be all that he called us to be. And the whole thing is about, Lord, change me. Not my neighbor, not my husband, not my boss, me. It's the only person we can have any responsibility for. And as I said, Jesus spoke to me and said, as he has with all of you, life is a journey. And we are all on that journey. And we could look at uh, many of God's people who've gone on these journeys. And sometimes, I knew I was no good with the clicker, um, sometimes these journeys take us through sweet meadows and sunny glades and rich pastures. But these journeys also take us to walls. And it's about the wall that I want to speak to us all today. Because there is not a person here who has not already faced a wall (coughs) and will not continue to face walls. And what Jesus wants to talk to us about today is how to navigate walls successfully. So, so let me, there are various stages of faith. And let me just find, so the first one for all of us who are following Jesus is that we have an awareness of God. And this can happen in childhood 
or in adulthood. It doesn't matter when it happens, but we become aware of the Godhead and we form a relationship with him. We're born again and we realise our need for forgiveness and mercy and we decide, excuse me, to give our lives to him. The second stage of faith is what I would call that stage of discipleship. And this is characterised at the beginning where we are learning about God and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it's also at this point that we become part of a Christian community, hopefully. And we begin to get rooted in the disciplines of walking with Jesus. We begin to learn about prayer. We begin to learn about talking to Jesus, listening to his voice, feeding on the word, various things like that. As we grow a little bit more, we become active in our faith and we start doing, we start serving. So um, we start using our unique talents, you know, and we might work on the stewarding team or we start moving out in our place of work. We maybe start an alpha course or something like that. But all of our gifts we begin to use for Jesus Christ. We become active in serving him. But then, in life, whether it's sooner or later, we hit a wall. And I want to talk about what do walls look like? So the first thing is that a wall is not the same as a trial. So James tells us in James, funnily enough, um, to encounter it pure joy, brethren, when you encounter trials of many types. Because we know that as you go through them, your faith is perfected. So a trial would be the washing machine breaks down. I'm stuck in traffic and I'm late for an appointment. The dog has been sick. I didn't get the promotion I wanted. I got held up at work. These are trials. And we all face them, whether you're a Christian or not. Everybody faces trials. And Jesus wants us to go through them with him and develop our faith, which is of greater worth than gold. Not one of these trials is to be wasted. But there are also times in our lives when we hit what I would call a wall. And these walls, they're much bigger and they are often brought on by an outside set of circumstances of which you are not always totally in control, though you may have contributed to it. So it could be through divorce. Suddenly, your whole life falls apart because you're getting divorced. Maybe there's been adultery, who knows what. But divorce, a job loss. Maybe you are made redundant and you lose your job, your income, your identity, your security in one fail swoop. Maybe it's a death in the family. 
Maybe your father dies or your mother dies and you think, how can I go on? I loved them so much. Maybe you are disillusioned in your church experience. Maybe something happens and you think, I can never recover from this. I cannot trust again. Maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe friends have let you down. Maybe they've spoken about you behind your back. Maybe you have a shattered dream. Maybe you have a wayward child. Maybe you have a car accident. Maybe, and this was certainly one of my rules, you have an inability to get pregnant and you really want a child. That was really a big wall for me. For years and years and years, I didn't want to get married and I most definitely did not want to have children. And then, wonderfully, Gerald and I got married. And for a period of three or four years, God worked on me to have children. And there came a very definite point where I said, okay, Lord, we'll, I'll go for this, because I really felt that's what God wanted. And then the first child that we had, it was an ectopic pregnancy, and the child died. And then I couldn't get pregnant at all. But it seemed that everybody I knew was getting pregnant. That was really hard at that time. God was dealing with me. Maybe you have a deep desire to get married and that remains unfulfilled. Maybe there's just dryness and loss of joy in your relationship with, your, with God. But whatever it is, whatever is the wall in your life, you smack into it at 100 miles an hour and you know about it because it hurts. It hurts deeply. And at that time, we often begin to question God. Well, why, Lord? You're supposed to be for your own people. You're supposed to own the cattle on a thousand hills. You're supposed to shield and protect your own family. Why has this happened? We, we question ourselves. Oh, Lord, if I had not done this, or if I'd not done that, or if I'd done something differently, would it have been a different outcome? And also, we can question the church. Well, the church didn't help me. I was experiencing this, that, and the other. That's all the things that... And also, it appears that all the things that worked up until this point, reading the word, praying, waiting on God trusting him, nothing seems to work when you've hit the wall. It all just falls apart and you begin to question everything. Where is God? What is he doing? How on earth are we going to get there? And probably the biggest question of all, when will this all be over? Sound familiar? I would also say this, that the wall is not a once and for all experience. Thank you, Helen. Here's a woman who's been there, got the t-shirt, but come out the other side. And you can look at biblical characters. You know, you look at Abraham, called to go on a journey with God from wherever he was, Ur of the Chaldeans, 
into the promised land, told that he would have a baby, a son, had to wait 25 years for the fulfillment of that. Then, 13 years after that, had to sacrifice Isaac. These are walls that people go through. They're not just once and for all um, events. And at the wall, a number of things can happen. Um, from my own point of view, I always had a propensity to believe that nobody would love me because of some of the things I told you about in my childhood. So when I hit walls, like when I hit that wall at university, the enemy is in there quicker than you can say, well, Lynn, you knew God didn't love you. God is not interested in you. He is too busy with any number of other people but you're in this mess and you're going to have to get yourself out of it because help is not coming from the Lord. And you believe the lies of the enemy. You are fertile soil for the enemy to come in. There are also people who, when they hit a wall, and this would be true of me, we have a tendency to self-medicate. So because the wall is painful, it's at this point where I could eat lots and lots and lots of chocolate. It's also at this point, and this is my own particular self-medication, and I have to be really careful. I do not go near alcohol because I never want to repeat the pattern that I shared with you in my own family. But do you know what I do when life is really painful? I love watching detective programs. And I could go and sit and watch three hours of detective programs because it helps you to forget what's going on and it medicates and takes your mind off what's happening. And there are as many ways of medicating as there are people. You know, you could, we could all ask, what do you do when you feel really bad? And we could come up with a number of creative solutions, I'm sure. Um, but there's also people at the wall, and they quit. So you think of the Israelites when they were going out of Egypt and into, um, where were they going? The Promised Land. And they get to their first set of problems. And what do they say? I want to go back to Egypt. And they fantasize about how good it was in Egypt. They fantasize about the food and, that they didn't have. They've forgotten the hard work that they were under. And they want to go back. And I have seen people do that. The other thing which I think is really, really interesting and quite sobering and I'm going to talk, or I'm not going to talk about people specifically. I have seen this in others. And the reason I'm telling you is because it's easier to see in others, but this would also be true of me, and you could probably see it in me. But I have seen brothers and sisters hit a wall and bounce straight back off it. Because at the wall, God wanted to do something within them, but they weren't having any of it. And so they bounced off, and some time later, they hit the same wall again, and again, 
And again, I've known some people decades because I've lived a bit longer. And I have seen that pattern happen where people have hit circumstances, bounced off. <coughs> and when you bounce off, when you do not allow God to deal with you at the wall, it becomes harder. And the soil of your heart hardens ever so slightly, maybe a lot, but it hardens and it hardens and it hardens. And I've seen friends of mine, and they could say the same about me, who there was an issue in their lives that God wanted to deal with and they've refused. And that issue has got stronger and stronger and stronger. And now, 10, 20, 30 years later, they are far less open to hearing what the Spirit is saying to them because their ears have become deaf and their heart has become hard. But the reason Jesus is speaking to us this morning is because, like the 12 disciples, or the 11 disciples, let's discount Judas, Jesus is taking us on a journey into our interior because he wants to set us all free to make us who he's destined us to be. But in order for this to happen, we all have to know about the wall and how to deal with it when it comes into our lives. So when the wall comes, there is a bigger picture. And when the wall comes, God is dealing with something deep within our lives. And I don't know if you'll I don't know if you'll understand this. It made sense to me. But I once heard Joyce Meyer say, um, she was, I don't know, somewhere in America where it was very, very cold. And she went outside in a thin coat and she wrapped the coat around her and said, oh, it's cold. And the Lord spoke to her and said, Joyce, it doesn't matter whether you wrap the coat around you or not, it's cold. Just accept that it's cold. And that really spoke to me because sometimes when we're in the pain, we are spending our whole time trying to avoid the pain. But sometimes you just have to say, this hurts, I'm in pain. And the first step to take to coming through the wall is to acknowledge, yes. I'm in pain. And this really hurts. I think as well to understand that at no time, like we had Guy here, at no time in the entirety of your life has God ever been absent from you. So when you come into a wall, Jesus is as present with you as he was in this meeting today or on any mountaintop experience you've had. You may not tangibly feel him, but he is with you in the wall. And what Jesus wants in the midst of the wall is this. What does he want? The bottom line of my life and your life is this. Will I trust God or not? 
There is no other question on this earth to answer. And when Jesus takes us to the wall and there's another issue that comes up or another thing that is on the altar, no matter what it is, the question is, will you allow me, Lynn, to deal with you in that and take it away if I see fit? But will you trust me in it? Now, if I'm honest, and this is where I have failed, so I speak to you out of my failures, there have been more times when I've said, no, I'm not trusting you. And I have tried to make things work in my own strength. I have on numerous occasions. But there have been some occasions where I've just said, Lord, I really don't want this, or I do want this, but I will trust you in it, and I will yield to you in the process. May your kingdom come, may your will be done in this issue. You also have to let go of putting time constraints on it. So I have, I, do you know, you know when you go into Asda or you know, any supermarket, and you see a little two-year-old throw themselves on the floor, arch their back, cry loudly because they want a chocolate bar or something like that. And a good parent says, sweetheart, I love you, and I'll wait until you've finished your temper tantrum, but you're not having a chocolate bar. Well, you know what? Jesus is like that. And I have many times, oh, this isn't fair. Haven't I suffered enough? Lord, rescue me. And then I sort of look to see, is he paying attention? I can tell you, he's not. He's watching over me, and I have got myself into some real pickles when I've been having a temper tantrum. But he doesn't budge. And I want to say to you, my brothers and sisters, as we grow with Jesus, it really is, he's the only person you can truly say, it's his way or the highway. Because Jesus doesn't yield, sadly, I've tried it, to my temper tantrum. But what he wants here, what he's wanting to do among us, is to build a company of people whose hearts are soft and supple and yielded to him. Because, my brothers and sisters, he has such great purposes for us, and for this city. But just in the same way Jesus took three years with 11 disciples, he's taking time with us. We're in school. And he's teaching us and getting us ready for the new thing that he is doing. So the question is, am I up for that? Or should I just carry on moaning or, you know, in my case, moaning? sure I could get a, an A star in that. And what does it look like then if I'm going to yield to Jesus? In the midst of it, it means that I keep on seeking his face. I keep on, I'll, I'll just say what I do, every day, even when it's hard, and I'm not as good as this as I could be, but I look for good things in my life, and I say thank you. And they can be really tiny things sometimes. 
because the pain can be so overwhelming. I look for things. I wait on him. I continue praying and reading the word, even if it feels like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. And I surrender. So I don't go fishing around, well, why are you doing this, Lord, and could you just show me? Because I have found that doesn't always work. But I offer myself and I say, Lord, I'm on the altar. I surrender myself to you. Deal with me as you see fit. And sometimes he does something tangibly, something that I could identify and tell you about. But there are other times when he's just working and at the end of it all, I've changed, but I can't really explain to you how. But I know I've changed. And the other thing that God is looking for in his people is he's looking for a faithful people. And I did not understand this. So in that first year, when I was at university and I didn't know what to do, and, and I was, I mean, I had so many angry sessions with the Lord, really giving him a piece of my mind. I shudder now when I think at some of the things I said, and I thank God for the blood, and it's all washed away. But, I forgot what I was going to say now. Um, oh, yeah. At the very, very end of that year, um, I went with two other people from the university to their church, and they went to a Pentecostal church where the gifts of the Spirit were operating. And somebody came up to me, and they said, um, because you have been faithful, God is going to do A, B, and C. And I looked at them, and I thought, I haven't been faithful. I've been shouting and swearing and having a temper tantrum for the best part of, you know, three or six months. I can't quite remember now. But years later, I remembered what God said, and I thought, you know what? I was faithful. I never turned back, even though it was hard. I didn't act well. I can't claim any credit for that. But I was faithful, and this is what God wants here. He wants faithful people who will trust him, who will walk with him through every wall, who will let him deal with us in the midst of the wall so our hearts become supple and sensitive and free. Because any wall that you face, you will not stay at that wall if you allow God to deal with you. You will come out the other side and you will see the glory of God in your life in a way you never dreamt of. He does not take you to the wall. And this was another fault of mine. In every circumstance, I always had a very short-term view. I always just wanted whatever it was fixed and fixed now. Thank you very much. But God is doing a long-term thing in this. He is making a people. Do you know what you are going to be and I'm going to be? We're going to be a bride without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. This is going to be a community of God's people where the glory of heaven rests on us. Because even though the whole church might not be that, we could. We could be that perfect bride of Christ in Northgate Church and in the city. If we will yield to our Heavenly Father 
and allow him to have his way in the most difficult of trials. Amen? Amen. Amen.